0: Welcome, friends, to Inside the Writers Cafe. I'm your host, Cheryl Nason. Our show features the hottest authors and introduces you to new, exciting authors talking about themselves and their latest book. Our show today is very dark. It's all about violence, political intrigue, revenge, and the creation of the Crime Syndicate in Cleveland. A Touch of the Underworld by Dr. David Trucker gives readers a peek behind the curtain when he writes of his family history with the Mafia and the founding of the crime syndicate in Cleveland. Bullard's Suspicious Finn is a sequel of To Whom It May Concern, The Nightwalker. Both books are by D.F. Lapierre-Luc. The book contains graphic violence and is not for the faint of heart as readers are taken into the dark world of Bullard as he exacts revenge on the man who murdered his parents and ruined his life. Dr. David Trucker is a practicing orthopedic physician, but because of his family involvement, he gives us a peek behind the curtain at the founding of the crime syndicate in Cleveland. Dr. Trucker is joining us today to talk about his book A Touch of the Underworld. Welcome Dr. Trucker. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you. And I love peeking around the curtain. <laughs> you like that? Well, that's what it that's what it feels like because you are an insider. Let's give our listeners a little overview of the book and then let's talk about some specifics.
1: Sure. Actually, most people think the underworld, you know, in America started in New York and Chicago. Not true. What it really started as what's called the Cleveland Syndicate. And the Cleveland Syndicate was the brainchild of four refugee Jewish men from the Soviet Union. It wasn't called Soviet Union then, Russia was called, who were geniuses, and I stress that throughout the book, that these geniuses were able to develop a system of what you would call connection of the underworld, not only locally in the greater Cleveland area, but eventually throughout the nation and with the international connections, primarily in Cuba, which was critical for obtaining the products for prohibition, and also Mexico, which, of course, eventually became a focus of drug origin. But what a lot of people don't realize is the underworld in its development in America was responsible for many economic developments in the United States. But let's get back, first of all to the Cleveland Syndicate, how it developed, how it flourished, and why it flourished. First of all, these guys, these four guys, were geniuses. And what they did is they were able, both covertly and overtly, by having excellent, very intelligent lieutenants, most of them being recent immigrants to Cleveland, particularly the Collinwood area of Cleveland, which I address in the book, with what you would call migratory waves of, first of all, the Italians, then the Irish, and then many other uh, national groups coming to Cleveland, initially to one area, and then through the ingeniousness of both the syndicate members. And my relatives, who were legitimate business people and politicians in Cleveland working with the underworld, were able to produce an absolute bonanza of success, particularly with the marvelous benefit of prohibition, which was the greatest thing that ever happened to my family because it opened up doors for economic development, and in those days the feds weren't as smart as they are today. So it was really just a game outdoing the feds, which they were, which the syndicate was able to do at every turn in the road, and also able to outdo their counterparts on the east coast, which eventually the east coast syndicate, did develop a major coalition with the Cleveland Syndicate. The Chicago Syndicate under Brother Capone never did, for reasons I address in the book. And then, of course, the Cleveland Syndicate ultimately as the Mafia throughout America developed, as you know, Las Vegas and turned what you would call illegitimate activities, pardon me, like gambling, into legitimate activities of great profit.
0: How in the the world, world, Dr. Tucker, how in the world did your father and uncle ever get involved in this? Well, very simple. My father was
1: of Anabaptist origin, and you probably know it, like Amish Mennonite and all that. He was an offshoot. In those religions, you judge no human being. Only God can judge in their eyes. And therefore, the mob knew that my father, who was an architect, was honest, and that he did good work, and that he (laughs) didn't charge an awful lot. And therefore, they felt free to use him to build their warehouses, their homes, and everything else they need. In fact, I'll have to, this is great. One of the chief mobsters in Akron that I talk about quite a bit in the book, my dad built a gorgeous home for him. And dad sent him the bill, and his name was Whiskey Dick Prococo, who made a ton of money during Prohibition and ended up as a bondsman. He took the bill and sent it back to my dad and said, Vance, double it. Wow. And they, in other words, they had just treated them like anybody else. Then my aunt, my mother's older sister, who was eventually a godsend in my life for many reasons I address in the book, was the first ultra-successful woman in real estate in the United States, and she started in Cleveland when she literally had no job initially, got into real estate, hit the right thing with the right people at the right time, ended up developing Shaker Heights, which became the wealthiest suburb and the wealthiest community in the United States before Beverly Hills.
2: Wow. And
1: it was all because these multi-multi-million dollar immigrants and mafia and syndicate members needed a place to live
0: and they developed Shaker Heights. How did you didn't... get involved? Pardon me? How did you get involved with the syndicate? Well, I... <laughs> oh, this is
1: great. Um, I was actually uh, going with the daughter of the slot machine king. Oh, gosh! <laughs> oh, no, I, I loved Leela. She was sweet. And... Uh, There was a prom uh, at her school in Akron, which was a Catholic girls' school. And I came home from the prom, and I told my parents that they picked me up, and they took me over to the prom in this big car with shaded windows, and the door was so heavy I couldn't close it. Obviously, bulletproof windows <laughs> and bulletproof door. My parents said, "No way," and they sent me away to reform school. So, anyway,
0: <laughs> oh,
1: wow. Uh, but I, I knew, and in fact, my uh, and uh, I, my sister, who's a retired nun, age 88, is now visiting us, and we were talking about this at Father's Day. Uh, meeting yesterday, and many of these families that I knew, uh, they're still alive, and my sister still sees them and goes out for dinner with them and everything. So, uh, you know, when I see what's going on in Washington, I feel that a lot of the underworld activities today are Mickey Mouse compared to the corruption In Washington, and in the book, I state in the underworld, we have a fine line between what's good, what's legitimate, what's criminal, and what's not. Whereas in Washington, they don't have that fine line, they just vacillate from each side of the fence. So at least we have some ethics as people who are advocates and members of the underworld. And they don't have that anymore in politics, particularly in Washington. So I don't think the underworld, I don't think criticism of the underworld is appropriate until you know what they are and what they're doing. You must understand they were responsible for many economic developments. The first national communication system in America wasn't AT&T, it was the underworld, and they developed a national broadcasting system, a national communication system, and they did it so they would have an immediate contact with bookies for betting, and to do it, they had to have a communication system, so they set up by telephone, we didn't have, you know, cell phones and all that stuff in those days, This online communication system, which was the first national communication system in America, and it was all to communicate with the bookies. (laughs) Wow. Well,
0: are you nervous? I mean, you just said that many of the people are still alive. Are you nervous about doing a tell-all book about the mafia? Are you afraid they might come after you? They're all my friends. Well, so no. In the book,
1: I extol them. I don't criticize them. The only ones I criticize are like Dutch Schultz, and he's dead, and Al Capone, and he's gone. Uh, I mean, my... the existing... Children and members
0: of the underworld are my friends. I'm not worried about them. Excellent. Well, who's your target audience for the book? Who do you hope that picks it up and reads it? Who, do you, who are you reaching out to?
1: Well, this is intriguing because
0: I've had teenagers
1: start to wait on me in the uh, restaurant that have gotten to know me and know about the book. And they buy the book. Now, we're talking about uh, kids in their late teens and uh, in 20s that work as waiters. And then some of the waiters in the restaurants are in their 30s and 40s. They all are interested in buy the book. Everyone I talk to, I've talked to ministers who buy the book. I've talked to business people particularly large business people who say they want to read the book to just see how various segments of the underworld in America develop. And ordinary, everyday people, uh, neighbors, I find that women are a, have great interest in this stuff,
0: just great interest. Well, it's a fascinating segment of our society that I think people don't know about and they're curious about. So I think you've really hit on a topic that people are very interested in. Now, I went to Amazon and I put in the title of the book, A Touch of the Underworld, and I put by Dr. David Trucker, T-R-U-C-K-E-R, and I put it in the book search feature at the top, just clicked on it, and it came right up, and there's a nice excerpt there that our listeners can read. Where else can they find out about the book? Where else might they find a copy of the book, Dr. Trucker?
1: Well, the book's available at all bookstores, Barnes and Noble, all the big, all the biggies have it, and all the smaller ones. Have access to it. So, all you got to do is contact either Barnes and Noble. Most of the people are going to Amazon.com.
0: It's so easy, isn't it? Oh
1: yeah, I have. I
0: have both friends and enemies
1: that have told me that they they get it. They go right to Amazon.com. They get it in three days. So, uh, it's readily available. Readily available. I haven't found anybody who said they couldn't get a hold of it if they wanted to.
0: Now what about a website? Do you have a website for the book yet?
1: Well, it's under construction because uh, of multiple uh, the, the whole business of Dr. Tucker's now a legal title. I have the trademark on it, and so we have to redo everything uh, for the website. And we will have that within two months completed.
0: Now, I have one last question for you because our time is almost up. What do you want your reader to leave your book with? Did you write it simply as an information book? Did you write it to entertain them? What do you want them to feel after they read it and close the cover for the last time?
1: Well, um, first of all, I want them to know the historical component, very important. And those that read the book will also notice that uh, being a semi-clown, I put in a lot of humorous components. And I know a, (laughs) a psychologist that I know read it and told me the thing he enjoyed the most were my humorous remarks relative to various issues. He called it a page-turner, and I had to ask him, what's that mean? He says, you can't set the book down. He says, you pick it up, you read one page, and you want to go on to the other one. So I've learned a new term. It's called page-turner, and uh, he said he picked up the book, and, and he didn't set it down. Daily was finished with all 103 pages.
0: Well, excellent. Thank you for taking time out of your, I know, very busy schedule to be with us today here on Inside the Writer's Cafe. It's been a pleasure to talk with you.
1: Well, thank you, Cheryl, and I appreciate the call.
0: You're listening to Inside the Writer's Cafe, brought to you on webtalkradio.net. D. F. LaPierre-Luc is a Caribbean-based author. He's a graduate of the University of Sheffield with a Master of Education degree in Educational Studies. He also holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Computer Information Systems and an Associate of Science degree in Business Administration from Andrews University here in the United States. Dexter is joining us today to talk about his new book, Bullard, Suspicious Fan. Welcome, Dexter. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. You know, before we really start talking about Bullard, it's a sequel, is that correct?
2: Yes, it is. It so is a sequel.
0: The The title of the book, the previous book, I believe, is To Whom It May Concern, The Nightwalker.
2: That's correct. So
0: why don't we give our listeners a little bit of a preview and sort of background of The Nightwalkers and then tell them about the Bullard novel.
2: Okay, we can do that. All right. Um, to Whom It May Concern, The Night Walker. Now, I really wanted to change the name so that it would sound similar to Bullard's Suspicious Fin, but because this is uh, uh, that book, that particular book, To Whom It May Concern, is it delve deep into um, the dark side of a character whose name is Finn actually. And his name is not really Finn. It is a uh, acronym for uh, his real name Bullard, but into whom it may concern it's not revealed. His real name Bullard is not revealed in that book. So let's go back just a, a little bit before to whom it may concern. His he is a uh, very um troubled man he was uh, a, a, a young boy who was molested as a you know probably around nine ten years old and he was telling his friend Felix Luke about his trauma and Felix Luke wrote about his life in another novel called Finn and He just wanted to get it out. To whom it may concern is really it started when Finn locked out that trauma and saw his parents being murdered by three men, basically. So the book starts off with the three men who is looking for a job, and one of them in particular had an interview with the one of the um which is um Bullard's father, and he didn't get the job, and the three of them decided that they would play a little game or little trick on the father, and it got worse. The three men decided to go where the the businessman lived, and they it wasn't just a joke; they actually raped the um the mother, which is Bullard's mother and buggered his father. And he saw that. And that took him to another level where it took him back to when he was traumatized. So he became the night walker into whom it may concern. And what happened is that he wanted revenge. But because the trauma was so much, he, sleep, he used to sleepwalk all the time. Sleepwalking was something that he didn't even know he did. He did. And in doing his sleepwalking, he would um, do all sorts of really gross things to people who follow him into this park, this conservation park. Now, coming back to present now, which is the, the sequel to To Whom It May Concern, because To Whom It May Concern was two... It was getting a bit large. I decided to continue the book because the story just could not have ended. And Bullard to um, suspicious Finn, The name took on when one of the 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 the, 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 the three men wives decided that this this guy who came into to, to this um, place called Conservation Heights. He is something is wrong. He looks very, very sheepish. He looks like a nice guy, but they don't ever see him in the night. But yet they are seeing this strange character walking the streets at night and that is what happened. She decided to call him Suspicious Sin. But his uh-huh. name is actually yes, that's correct. She decided is it this guy is suspicious. Something is wrong with him. So he, you know, decided that he would continue calling himself Finn because he wants to get revenge, and he really did get revenge. And that, so, so to whom it may concern, ended with him taking the lives of the three men, which is, um, the, uh, I'll probably call the names, John, Terence, and Ricky, Taking the lives of them, and okay. it begins it begins in in the new book, which is the sequel a similar similar um, scenario if, if I would want to call it at the beginning of the book, but this time through his eyes, because you know when you when you 're writing the book, sometimes you go from the third person into the first person, so from Bullard the second book, which is Bullard um, Suspicious Finn, that scenario was written in the first person and in the to whom it may concern, it was written in the third person, the ending of the book. So that's that's the tie, that that that's the the, the link between both books. So really and truly the two books is really about Finn which is a name, an acronym that was given to Bullard, taking revenge for the death of his parents, basically.
0: It's a very violent book, Dexter. This it is, is this is not for the fight and apart. It,
2: and it is very graphic.
0: <laughs> and not for the young reader, and not for the reader. No,
2: it is not for the young reader. It is for 21 years and over. I wouldn't even go and say it's an 18 years and over book. I don't want teenagers reading the book because it's very sexual. It is psychosexual is what I call it because it's not even, I mean, proper sex, if you understand what I'm saying. I do. It is grotesque, if you understand. And I write that way. And the reason for doing that, um, Cheryl, is because these things do happen in real genius crimes are being committed but you cannot publish that in the the regular newspaper you see people dying of so and so you know this one raped me and that one raped me and they, they use that word rape or they use the word bugger but what really happens when someone is being raped what happens when somebody is buggered that is how I write I take on the characters Feeling. So I use the words and, and the emotions and everything from the person's perspective is how I document it. So the book comes across very, very graphic. So I make it very clear that my work is only for 21 years and over.
0: Where did you get the idea for this book?
2: <sighs> okay. Let, let, that will have to go back to the book called Finn, which is uh, actual 90% of that book called Sin, Finn, F I N N is 90% of that book is really my story. Wow. My story done fictitiously with something what I call true fiction. I was traumatized as a boy. Traumatized in that I was sexually abused by a neighbor. And then that took on a totally different perspective and when I was a teenager. And then when you think you are, you are, you're free to do what you're supposed to do as a teenager, there are other boys coming along. There are girls as, as well, but for some reason the boys tend to, gravitate to me because I'm, you know, easygoing. Hello, how are you doing? I'm okay, Dexter. And then when you think that's your friend, that's not your friend. And that went on and on and on up until I was an adult. And it became so much a part of me. I really thought that that was normal. Would you believe it would, not, it would take me probably 15 years after or probably 20 years, I I didn't do the math, I saw an interview where Oprah had 250 or probably 300 men on her show with men who were molested as children and that is where Finn, that's the birth of the book, Finn, I decided, you know what? It was very, very cathartic. Yes, it was. Good. And I decided, you know what, I think I need to write and get this off my chest once and for all. And that book took me six weeks to to write, would you believe? Wow. Six weeks Thin. yes. And I decided, okay, enough of the truth, let me get into fiction. So I decided to go to, to whom it may concern. So I did some research. What? What happen, what could happen to um, people like myself who don't get help, professional help, spiritually or otherwise. What could happen to people who are molested? number of things. They sleepwalk, they do violent things, and I'm not a violent person, so I decided, you know what, I will go with a sleepwalk. So I conjure up this whole scenario with and getting revenge and the death of my mother, my mother and father is in fact dead, but they didn't die that way. And when my mother died, I was really traumatized as well. So I kinda twist the death and how she died into having three men, you know, murder her, so to speak. And that is when everything started coming back on and the story built from there. And that is how, that is the birth of Bullard. So I decided okay, Bullard would be his first name. Right? So his full name is Bullard LeBou LeBron. That's his name. Actually, I'm writing another book called Billionaire, and they changed the name, I don't know. And it would be Bullard Going glo- go, um, Global.
0: Wow, this is captivating. How to know that this is based in in fact and part of your life i'm so glad that you were able to go to writing and use yes. that not only as a way to get it off of your proverbial chest and sort of out of mm-hmm. your brain but mm-hmm. it's very powerful stuff yes it is there's an it's excerpt <laughs> there's an excerpt mm-hmm. of the book if if our listeners want to get a sample of what the book is like before they commit to buying, or if they're curious and they just want to know what it's like. I went to Amazon.com, and in the book search feature at the top, I just put the title of the book, and they could either put in, now, Finn was the first book, right? F-I-N-N.
2: Yes, F dot I dot N dot N dot,
0: yes. And then then came to whom it may concern, colon, Mm -hmm. the Nightwalker, and then Mm -hmm. up to date with Bullard, and that's spelled Mm B-U-L-L-A-R-D, suspicious, and then capital F period, I period, N period, N period. And then Mm -hmm. they they can put in your name, Dexter. That's correct. Yep. Dexter. That's correct. Le Les Pierre. P i e r r e dash Luke. And mm-hmm. the book will come up, and they can see a little description of the book, and then there's a little bio of you, and they can mm-hmm. click on the book and they can read the excerpt. Now, is there anywhere else, Dexter, that they can find the book?
2: Yes. Um, my my website is on um, on under construction. It's called retext dot which is really Dexter backwards. So it's Clever. www yes isn't it yes, r e t x c d retext dot but it's currently under construction construction. There are other websites um, for the boat Finn and to whom it may concern. That's the other two books. But this current book, Bullard, The Suspicious Finn, there isn't a website. And you can get me also on social media, Facebook and Twitter.
0: Do they just put in your name and find you? Is there
2: is Yes, there... put in my name, yes. You could spell the full name Dexter LePier-Luke or you could say Lapierre luke and you would get me on Facebook and you would get me on Twitter. Mm-hmm.
0: One more question before I let you go. Yeah. When your readers turn the very last page of the book and set it down for the last time, did you is there something you want them to take away from the book? Did you want to entertain them? What do you want to leave them with? when they close that book for the very last time?
2: I want them to be educated. I want them to be stimulated by, not sexually, even though the book is very sexual, I want them to be stimulated by the fact that using simple words without getting a true meaning of the word like rape and buggery and incest and those things. Because I'm an educator, I want you to understand that these words mean so much more than when you do a little research and you say, what is incest and and, and whoever it is writing gives you that little paragraph. It is more than that. We are looking at true human feelings. I want them to be educated. All my books, even though they are very, very graphic, even though they are very, very, um, what they would say, psychosexual, when they put, the and I, got, I get feedback from my students, they say, oh, God, it is so captivating. And they are now looking at their children because it started there as a child. I was, I was, I was molested as a child. And they say, you know what? They are now getting to understand when other people say that they are molested what they mean when they say they are molested.
0: Dexter, you have been so fascinating to talk with today. Thank you so much for taking time to be with us on Inside the Writer's Cafe. Thank you so much for having me, Cheryl. Our time is up, and we'd like to thank you for yours. Remember... Pick up a good book and read.